This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com start. Welcome to episode 169 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Elga. And on this podcast, we bring you interviews with working actors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance and fitness guru- gurus. Gurus. That one's, not, you to say. that one's not coming out today. Uh, I should have done like um, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> bumblebee, bumblebee, bumblebee. Warm-ups before we started. Voiceover artists and many, many more. All of them serving up insider tips on marketing yourself, creating your own work, booking the gig. You know, it's knowledge bombs for everyone, straight from the people who've been there, done that, and are doing it again. And we're two dudes who started this this little podcast thing because we were just looking for the answers, and we were kind of sick and tired of being told we had to pay for it. So we started this show, gave everybody a reason to either talk to us or listen to us, and we made it free and put it on the internet. And while all success stories tend to be built on a sort of common foundation of of principles, we don't believe there's any one right way to do anything. So if you hear something on this episode, somebody's approach or path or journey or something, and you think that it was just absolutely the worst thing for us to share with the world, or you think it was the best thing, either way, we want to hear from you. So send us an email, shoot us a tweet, comments on our website, leave us a voicemail, whatever you do, it all goes to the same place, which would be us, our eyes and ears. And you can find out all the different ways to get your voice on the show by starting at our website, which is InsideActingPodcast.com. And a bit later in today, today's episode, we have part one of a another Ricka Ricka Redux episode <laughs> starring uh, your friend and mine, J.K. Simmons. And we'll explain uh, the, the motivation behind the Redux throughout the episode here. Uh, but that's coming at you later on in the episode, so stick around for that. Hello and welcome to episode 169 of Inside Acting. Uh, how are you, man? What's new in your world this hey, week? Hey, buddy. Uh, you know, started started a couple of my thrival jobs. That's really what's been uh, taking up the majority of my time, but it's now, fun. You, you got you to gotta explain this because last time we left you, it sounds like a TV serial. Last time we left you, our previously, hero, previously yeah. on Inside Acting. Uh, you were just you were looking, and I think the last thing we really got in depth about mentioning was an interview as like a, a hotel concierge kind of thing. Oh yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. not what you're doing at all. You're doing something kind of new, but not new. Yeah, new and new and old. Because uh, I ended up getting three jobs. Three? <laughs> yes. So that's the I'm, magic number. I'm I'm doing a, I'm a cater waiter for the first time ever, working for this catering company that's actually really cool. They, they, the people who owned it, or or the people who own it, or or who started it, worked catering before and just had really horrible experiences, and so they have made it their mission to not allow any of their employees to have those horrible experiences. Oh, I so, love this company already. Right. So yeah, the way that they do everything is really, it's really cool, up to and including. How much you get paid, which is based not only on your experience, um, but they have this way of calculating the amount of hours that your experience brings. And so what happens is every time you work, it adds hours. Every time you go to a training, it adds hours. If you get complimented by the client, the um, other employees, basically anyone who's out on a job by you, that counts towards hours. And so what ends up happening is you have people who have worked for the company for like eh, just a year, two, three, whatever, however long it takes them to get up to a certain point that are seriously making $35 an hour. 
So yeah, so it's 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 a really cool like the whole structure the way they have it set up is really cool and um, obviously you set your own schedule so um, it's great for you know actors a- anybody who's in New York who any actor or anybody else who's listening to this who's in New York looking for a job they're called Cutting Edge Elite C E E uh, I don't know what their website is because um, I only use the sort of back end s- stuff now that I've been hired. And uh, I, 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 I was a referral. That's how I got the initial interview. So, but anyway, check it out. You're in New York. So that's one job. And then the other job is actually I went back to Apple. So I'm, I'm back working at the Apple store on the Upper West Side. Any listeners want to come by and say hi while I'm, you know, working there? That would be fun. That and is really cool. Now, I have to ask you. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, how, cool. how do you... F- feel about going back to Apple. I well, mean, it's a great company and it's a great job, but it's back to retail. I mean, I mean, but at the same time, you've got this new perspective and all these new experiences under your belt and you're older. Yeah. So I think, can you talk a little bit about that? I think you just answered your own question really, because that's pretty much my, like how my point of view right now. I, I realized the other day I was saying this to Jasmine, actually, I realized that I have I have never worked at Apple with transformation under my belt. Right, transformation meaning the, uh, the, the personal kind of emotional intelligence training work we've done. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, introspection, emotional intelligence, leadership, transform like all of this stuff that, that you and I have and, and Jasmine have, have gone through. I, I, I didn't have that stuff under my belt before. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's just an interesting thing taking that with me into this uh, job in addition to the empowerment that we have you know talked about and worked on as part of inside acting so you know I, I there's a couple of actors who got hired at the same time as me and we're going through training together and I told one of them the story of Porter Kelly <clears throat> because that will always be sort of my inspiration it's like oh you're not gonna let me go to this audition. Okay. Um, well I quit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like it's, it, it will always be acting will always be my focus. And it's even more so than when I was there, uh, during my second stint, my first stint, it was sort of, and you know this because you were there, but it was like golden handcuffs. We, you know, didn't want to we were sometimes scared to go on auditions and stuff because we didn't want to, you know, incur any kind of disciplinary action, et cetera, et cetera. And the second time I went back, I was like, I only want to work part time and I only, you know, uh, I'm going to go on every audition and I'm going to trade my shifts away all the time. And I didn't make very much money, but you know, I still had a semi steady gig. And, Mm -hmm. and this time I have that same attitude plus, the you know leadership and self-development training that we've gone through so i think like i said you just kind of answered the question um because that's exactly how i'm how i'm looking at it and there's Mm -hmm. been a lot there have been a lot of changes as far as benefits go uh within apple um, including for part-time employees so it's it's a fantastic job and a fantastic company to work for and you get some really really cool perks i mean one of them is, you know, they pay for, and I, they did this when I worked there before, when we, we both worked there before, but they pay for mass transportation if you use it to commute yep. to work, yeah. which is not a, as big a deal in Los Angeles because there really isn't a, a, a well-thought-out, well-planned mass transportation system. But I live in New York City now, so my, you know, unlimited subway ride pass for the month is now completely covered. That really pays. And how much can you can you share? Kind of how much you're going to be saving with that? I mean, what do you what do you estimate you spend a month on subway passes? One hundred and twelve dollars. Wow, a month. Wow. Yeah, and that's one one of many examples. Um, you know, they have health benefits for part time employees, and I already have health benefits through Actors Equity, which is cool. Yeah, it's it, there's a there are a lot of perks to work that's awesome in addition to just having you know a semi-steady gig and knowing that if anything comes up you know an audition or a reading or something that i want to do um i will (laughs) and it will it will you know it'll be the kind of thing where if if 
if they don't want to work with me, it's like, okay, well, bye then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sayonara. Because I have this other gig and, and the other one's a very temporary thing. I'm just, I'm working at uh, the Wired Magazine pop-up store for a few days. Oh, cool. Um, leading up to the holidays, they do a pop-up store in New York City every, like, holiday season. Okay. And uh, and I'm just working there for like a week and a half or something and like what, that. What do they do there? Like, what's your job there? <clears throat> Basically, they just put, you know, it's sort of like a live experience of the magazine itself. So they put on display all of these really cool and interesting uh, pieces of technology. And then they have people there just to kind of talk to visitors about them it's i don't cool. i don't i don't i don't even know how much of it is a an, an actual like retail experience like i don't i don't know how much of the stuff is actually on sale because um you know they might have something as crazy as like the thing that james cameron took to the bottom of the ocean like <laughs> the, the, oh, the like right, summer. Right. it might be that crazy and it's like you can't actually purchase this but um <laughs> but you know tvs and 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 phones and tablets and blah 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 Mm-hmm. Cool, right so, on, dude. Yeah, that's, and then that's a nice that's a nice kind of uh, spectrum you've covered there with these three jobs: catering, retail, and a sort of mini pop up museum for the holidays. Yeah, and <laughs> I also <clears throat> I also sent out a newsletter to my clients in Los Angeles, letting them know when I would be in town for the holidays, and I've already got people signing up, so to speak, awesome. scheduling yeah. scheduling appointments with me for when I'm there. So, your, your computer consulting. Yeah, thing. so I'm hoping yeah. that that actually, I, I believe it will pay for the trip and then some. Oh, great. So, yeah. Just awesome, dude. Doing the work, doing what it takes. I love it. Focusing on the, uh, the money side of things. The only thing I have going on really um, artistically, um, I did have my audition for Dr. Zhivago. I don't believe I will be getting a callback, which was a total bummer. But I also am um, involved in another um, musical reading which we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah, just the, yeah. something that happens um, quite often. And is this just like you just, you just knew somebody, you knew somebody <laughs> who recommended you, or how did you Yeah, it was this? someone who was a rehearsal pianist for Heathers is writing a show. Um, so, yeah. Wow. And they just were like, hey, I want you to come do this reading. Yeah, they they invited me to do a reading of the first act um, about a month ago, and now they're doing like the last 15 minutes of the show, the last 15 minutes of the second act, at another sort of staged reading place. Um, so they asked me to reprise the same the same role. Awesome, dude. Awesome. You got all your bases covered. You're building relationships. You're playing the game. It's, I'm really proud of you. That's exciting. It's really cool. I hope yeah. I didn't sound like your dad there. For <laughs> well, really proud I, of you. I mean, it, it, it means the same coming from you. <laughs> um, cool, how about you, buddy? What's what's new in your world? Uh, I had a, a pretty interesting week, man. Uh, well, first off, I had uh, a really cool meeting for um, a kind of major network primetime TV show. And I walked in the room and there was Bjorn Johnson, uh, <laughs> who was one of our interviewees back. Oh, man. Back around like episode 30 maybe or 35 or something like that so way back in the deep history of the podcast and i walk in and i see him sitting there and i was like oh hey what's up and you know we sort of started talking and i realized he was there for the same role and if you if any of you know bjorn or have seen his photo or have seen his work because he's everywhere he's been in everything ever um you'll you'll know that he's a good like 15 years older than me uh, <laughs> and even though we're the same you know quote unquote type we're in very different phases in our lives and so it was a little bit sobering to be like, wow, like, well, I'm in here with <laughs> either they don't know what they're looking for and they're this kind of varied with it or they just know they want guys with beards because I got, I got the beard going on or, you know, who knows? So anyway, um, it was cool to kind of connect with him, meet with him. And the, um, the experience itself was great. You know, it was fine. It was just like any other meeting. It was great to be in that office. But I definitely recognized that I get to uh, get back in the gym, so to speak, with my with my acting stuff, you know, the classes, whether it's improv or cold reading or, you know, comedy or whatever, I, I get to get back in there because I just felt rusty. And that was an awful feeling, hmm. awful feeling. So that was cool. Uh, then a little bit later uh, in the week, I had lunch with one of our patrons, Daryl, uh, which was Daryl Miller, which was really, really cool. Talk about like, 
I said this on my Twitter, but we have the most interesting, coolest listeners on the face of the planet. <laughs> Daryl is so freaking cool and so freaking interesting. He's, I, 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 I don't want to share too much about what we talked about because I don't know if he'd be cool with it, but uh, he's just, if anybody out there wants to connect with a really interesting, driven, fascinating just person, just reach out to Daryl Miller. He's, again, he's one of our patrons and like talk about unconventional thrival jobs. <laughs> uh, I wish I could, I could say more, but I, I don't want to do it without his permission. Uh, and then lastly, not this past week, but the week before, I completed a short film script that I'm really uh, excited about. Awesome. I just, I just kind of came to a place where I was like, you know, listening to the Bria Grant interviews, listening to the Nori Victoria interview series and all the others that we've done recently. There's no reason we shouldn't all be doing stuff all the time. And it was crazy. I, I wrote the script and I kind of put it out on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and stuff. And the overwhelming amount of, I literally just, just put a subtitle, who wants to make a short film? And the overwhelming amount of people that were like, I want to make one or like, tell me more about it. It was like, I realized that everybody wants to be working on something, but nobody's got the story. Nobody's got the script or, you know, somebody does, but it, it seems to be like, that's the missing ingredient. So if you can just bring the script, you can get people interested in, in working on something. And I want my life to be constantly working on something, finishing one project, moving on to the next. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm not. So uh, that was a pretty cool, a pretty cool kind of little thing. And it was kind of inspired by this article that I read on No Film School uh, called the 12714 formula. And it's really geared towards screenwriters. But the idea is that if, if as, a, as an entertainment industry professional, I'll say, you commit to reading one script a week and you can find PDFs of feature film scripts all over the, the web. They're pretty easy to find and download for free. Read one a week, watch at least two movies a week, write one page of dialogue a week or one page of your script a week, which would be seven pages total, and then spend two hours a day researching, writing, preparing, and somehow bettering your craft uh, for seven days. That'd be 14 hours. The amount of, of of kind of headway you would make in your career in the in the scope of a year is is unbelievable. I mean, you 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 have read fifty two scripts and and be like a master at you know script structure and things like that. Yeah. In in theory, uh, you'd have seen one hundred and four movies. You'd have written like three or four screenplays, and you'd have spent like hundreds of hours bettering your craft, researching, developing, you know, adding to your scrapbook, you know, um, letting ideas percolate and kind of work their way around your head and inside you. So, uh, you know, that's incredible. Just, yeah, it was just kind of a cool revelation. And I, I really started to live it this week. So it's been, uh, it was a good week, man. Wow. That's really cool. Congratulations. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that, that article I know I've mentioned this many, many times on the podcast before, but it's it, it always inspires me. That article that you mentioned with the from No Film School reminds me of um, Stephen King, who says like I only write when I'm inspired, and fortunately I'm inspired. I'm always inspired from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was Stephen King, but I do remember reading that. It might have been Stephen King. I do remember reading that about that in The War of Art, that Stephen Pressfield book. It was something. It was something along. Yeah, it was like I only write when the muse calls. But thankfully, the muse calls uh, every morning at nine a.m. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, really, like if, if you're tasking yourself, so to speak, with generating one page of dialogue every single day, there's going to be days where you're not really. It, it's not. It's not clicking or. You're not real, but it doesn't matter because you made that commitment. You, this is yeah. what you're going to do. So that's cool. I really dig that. I yeah, really dig that. Yeah, and even if you're not a writer or have any interest in writing, I still think there's a lot of value to be gotten from this exercise because you're just steeping yourself in this industry. And they don't have to be feature film scripts. You can find pilot scripts and things like that for TV shows, and you can read plays. Just, but if you commit to reading one a week. Man, you know, like the 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 things you'll absorb kind of through osmosis just by immersing yourself in this stuff all the time, I think is can't be underestimated. In fact, when I was in college, uh, I was leaving. I was actually going to transfer to NYU my after my sophomore year, and I had this meeting with my professor slash guidance counselor. And he, long story short, he eventually convinced me to stay at the school I was at, which is Westchester University, Pennsylvania. He's a great guy. His name was Bob Bittner. I really miss him, actually. He's a really fantastic guy. He doesn't, 
teach anymore. But he said to me, uh, you know, I said, well, what can I be doing over the summer just to kind of get better aside from like summer stock or something like that? Because in Philly, there's not a ton to do uh, in terms of like, you know, getting involved in a 99 seat show. I mean, there's some, but it's not, it's not like a LA or something. And he said, uh, he said, well, the, the best thing you could do, the easiest thing you could do right away is to read a play, like always be reading a script of some kind. And he's like, and you just by reading it, just by immersing yourself in that work, you will come back a better actor in three months. Hmm. And I never forgot that. And I think that's so true. I think it's so true. Uh, we have a, a couple of listener emails, but I think we probably only have time for one. And maybe we should just do this one from Michael because it's really just putting the question back on our uh, on our listeners. Basically, Michael writes in from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there is an emerging minor market. I'm guessing helped along by Breaking Bad. Yeah, for and, sure. And um, he said that one area that uh, well. The backstory is that he was on set doing extra work or featured extra work, and he got pulled, somehow pulled into a stunt part and got his SAG card as a result, and now he's interested not only in uh, continuing to pursue the, you know, um, I guess, what what would the word be, mainstream acting path, but also stunt work as well, and, uh, and said, you know, he's got a ton of questions about not only acting in general, but also stunt work. And, uh, you know, just mentioned that we haven't really talked about it very much on the podcast, which admittedly we haven't. We, we haven't, yeah. We, I think one, t- one, maybe two times we mentioned, you know, how it would be cool to have a, a stunt actor on the show, but uh, it's just not something that we've ever, we've ever done. So I think you responded to this, Trev. Did you want to say talk about the the email response other than your idea of um as i said before putting it back on the listeners uh here we go with the email thing again (laughs) i I think i remember what i wrote um no i i I think uh, i think this is a great um area of the market to explore and the closest we've ever gotten is with um motion capture when we had woody schultz on um doing uh you know talking about some of his work with avatar and uh the polar express and things like that but we never actually talked about like stunt stunts like falling down stairs or you know you know um doing a flip away from an exploding car or something like that and i do think that there's a a great opportunity here to really take a, a good look at a different aspect of the industry that that pays well but that's also dangerous and and whatnot and i think it'd be great to um Pose this question to our our Facebook group, and I also, um, you know, when I responded to his email, I cc'd uh, Gadali, who's our uh, web kind of marketing consultant, and he actually knows a few people that he said he can put us in touch with um, that might be interesting to talk to that are in this kind of stunt world. So hopefully, cool. Michael, we'll have somebody coming your way uh, on the show very very soon that can give some more kind of information about this. And if you have specific questions you'd like us to ask, please email them to us. We'll be sure to get them in there. Really cool. Really cool. So uh, the the question stands, if you have any information, experience, or a friend who you who's involved in stunt work, um, put us in touch with them or have them get in touch with us. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, we're totally open to that. I think it'd be awesome. And in fact, when I... Th- I I might be mistaken, and somebody listening, if, if I am mistaken, if you know this, let me know, but I think Lucy Lawless did a lot of her own stunts on Xena, the warrior princess. Do you know, am I making that up? Or do I, you know I, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, did we, did you ask uh, Mr. Hercules if <laughs> Kevin Sorbo, <laughs> if, if he did some of his own stunts? I don't remember. I, you know, that, I don't that, wasn't, I, that wasn't part yeah. of the interview, yeah. I don't think I did mm-hmm. ask him, but I do know that we're working on getting Lucy Lawless on the show. If I, I could have sworn that she did some of her own stunts, so that might be another aspect to look at as well. As cool. somebody who's a, a leading lady, kind of main, you know, mainstream actor that also is in that world. So, cool. Uh, yes, cool. thank you, Michael, for the question, and excited to explore a new another aspect of the industry. Great. So we look, for, man, that would be really cool to get uh, Lucy on the on the show. Yeah, um, yeah. we have a couple of direct connections, so hopefully we can make including it uh, Mr. Mr. Sorbo himself. 
we've got another email from Chris regarding reels. We will get to that next week. Chris, stand by. Um, in the meantime, we've got to roll into this interview. And before we do, we just wanted to give a little bit of context. First of all, if you haven't seen the Whiplash trailer, you probably should. Uh, and second of all, yeah. Trev, you heard an interview with the writer-director on uh, the business podcast, right? Correct. So the whole reason we're doing this J.K. Simmons interview again, and we love to kind of pull these out of the vaults, you know, from the history of the show and, and kind of play them again, because it's always interesting to kind of revisit these things. And I think this is really timely because J.K. Simmons just did this movie Whiplash. Um, didn't just do it, but, you know, it's just coming out now. And it's, I think people are talking about him getting, you know, nominated for an Oscar and stuff. And it's this little indie film, um, but he's really, really great in it. And I thought, I saw the trailer for it. I listened to this interview with the guy, Damien Chazelle, who, um, who uh, wrote and directed the first, the short film, which was a kind of proof of concept. And then eventually got, you know, the feature made as a result of that. And it, it just looks so great that I thought, what a great opportunity to, to revisit JK's interview. So yeah, Whiplash, if you guys haven't seen it, there's a link on our website to that trailer. It is, uh, it just looks really great. And I think I was talking to Daryl about it this week um, at lunch and he said it was just fantastic. And I think another listener actually wrote in and told us it was fantastic as well. So I can't wait to see it. And the interview uh, on the business, which is also my pick of the week, this podcast, the business, uh, the interview with Damien Chazelle is really interesting as well. So there will be a direct link to both the trailer and that interview on our website. And uh, I would just say before we go into this interview, um, this was years ago. So take our questions <laughs> and our our kind of dis disposition with a grain of salt. We were a little starstruck, I think, as I would be today. We were in his trailer on the set of The Closer, which is no longer on TV. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, this, this is dated, uh, this is a dated interview, but I think that JK's, um, responses are just as relevant as ever. Uh, so that's all I've got to preface this with. Anything you wanted to mention before we jump into it? Cool. No, that's, uh, that, although that just made me laugh. <laughs> just thinking about, uh, oh, the young whippersnappers. Uh, enough reminiscing on the bookends. Let's just reminisce in the interview. So uh, here it is, guys. J.K. Simmons Redux coming at you. All right, guys, welcome back. So Trev and I are sitting here with actor J.K. Simmons, uh, who many of you know from uh, the HBO show Oz or um, the Spider-Man series of films. Um, and right now he is uh, currently working on The Closer, so we are actually on set here. And um, we are really appreciative uh, to have him, and uh, thanks for being here, J.K. Sure, you bet. So uh, we always like to start out at the beginning, just kind of talking about, uh, you know, how you got your start, uh, you know, what brought you to acting. And, uh, you know, I know you had a, a theater career early on. I would really love to talk about that, being a, a musical theater guy myself. So uh, yeah, you just talk about where you got your start. Yeah, it was a, a circuitous and sort of stumbling path from... Uh Going to college, uh, well, going to three different colleges for my uh, my one undergraduate degree, which was in music actually, and uh, about uh, halfway through my uh, my undergrad career, I, I uh, really you know a series of synchronistic events uh, got me into a summer stock job as a music director, and then oh well, it turns out we need somebody that can sing who can play the lead in Brigadoon, and. Um, you know, I had hair at the time, so they <laughs> had me do that. I was whatever twenty-one, and uh, and I was horrible, horrible, like the worst actor in the world. Um, but started to learn, you know, started to figure things out, and worked with uh, uh, you know some good directors uh, that year and the next few years doing musicals and summer stock, and um, that was a great place called the Big Fork Summer Playhouse in Big Fork, Montana, and uh, um. After a couple of years there, I graduated and went out to Seattle just to see. Uh, it seemed like a, a good place to go. It was the nearest big city, um, and uh, you know there was a, a really uh, burgeoning theater community there. And uh, 
you know, I waited tables, I, uh, I washed cars, I did this and that, and, uh, uh, you know, one thing sort of led to another. I, I went to some auditions, I got a job, um, and really a nice thing about Seattle at that time was, was that, uh, I, I went in there as a, as a guy, I, I was just beginning to feel a little bit comfortable as an actor, you know, but, uh, but I was still mostly a, a, you know, a singer and, uh. Uh, the people in Seattle. The first job I got in Seattle actually was uh, in uh, Once Upon a Mattress, a musical. But I played the mute king, <laughs> and the reason I got that job. And this is, you know, I think this is a good thing for people to uh, to know. I uh, I was, you know, I was pretty much the straight, standard, leading man, you know, baritone, you know, guy. But uh, I had auditioned for this show, and I was at the callbacks, the dancing callbacks, which is not something I ever, you know, trained in or was much good at. And uh, because I wasn't much good at it at the dancing callbacks, I was, you know, just goofing around like an idiot. Every time I would screw up, you know, I would, you know, make a face. And and the director is sitting out there, and uh, he calls me down. They're taking a break, and he calls me, and he says... He says, well, you know, we heard you sing and, you know, really liked you a lot. And he said, you know, there are really three different parts I could cast you in in this show right now. He said you could play the uh, Sir Harry, who was this sort of, you know, dumb baritone knight guy. Um, and I don't even remember what the second part was. It might have been the the jester. Or or he said, uh, you know, you could play uh, the, the king. King Sextimus, the you know, who's a mute character. Jack Guilford created it on Broadway. And uh and I thought, well, you know, I, I, I said, really Sir Harry is the kind of part that I'm that I'm used to doing. Um, but any of those parts would be great and whatever. I'm you know, I'm a, you know, schmuck wannabe actor and I'll 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 take anything, you know, you have to offer me. And and he ended up casting me as the king. So my first show in Seattle, you know, which was the big city to me, um was, uh, you know, not only did I not sing, I literally, you know, I was mute until like the very end of the play, he finally, you know, tells his wife to shut up, and that's, you know, the only dialogue. But that always struck me as, as a, a valuable lesson that uh, that you should screw around at auditions, or just, you know, not to uh, not to pigeonhole yourself, you know. You, you're gonna, plenty of people are going to want to pigeonhole you as, you know, you look like this, so you do this, or, or you know, you have musical comedy on your resume, so you're a musical comedy guy, or or whatever. And uh, after I did that, and you know, and, and I made, you know, it, it was a, a non-equity theater in Seattle uh, called the Palace. But um, you know, the show got a fair amount of attention, and and I actually was able to after that. You know, I got my equity card. I think the next show or a couple shows after that at the Rep, and uh, and I was in a new spot where. Nobody saw me as as just a musical comedy guy, and I, so I got to do everything. I got to do you know, musicals and dramas and comedies and new plays and Shakespeare and this and that and uh, and yeah, really my my whole career was theater for the next uh, what was that? That was seventy eight. Uh, you know, for the next uh, the next uh, fifteen years or so before I even started doing any film or television. Do you feel like uh, we've had uh, some people on the podcast talk about the idea of um, what do they call minor markets, i.e., Seattle, Atlanta? Um, <clears throat> do you do do you think that going into Seattle, you thinking you thinking it was the big city? Um, do you think that that was a springboard in terms of building up credits, in terms of making connections? Like, do you feel like that was a a good path for you to go yeah yeah, it absolutely was and and again this was you know in the dark ages so I, I don't know how much you know it applies to uh trying to get a career started today this was you know late 70s i left seattle in 83 and moved to new york and you know i, I mean i I, re- I really when i started out i I, re- I had no i had no long-term plan i had no real ambition particularly i mean i just knew I had sort of stumbled into doing this summer stock stuff and just fell in love with it, you know. And um, I just, I was just hoping I could, you know, keep stumbling along and not have to get a real job. <laughs> um, and uh, and of course, I got, you know, I had a succession of, you know, horrible, you know, waiting tables and bartending jobs and stuff and all that, um, as most people do. But yeah, when I when I moved to New York in '83, it was because I had done a production of a new musical 
in Sun Valley, Idaho, actually. I mean, it was this, this whole sort of northwest area. You know, I kept going back to Montana to do summer stock and, and work in the, the theaters in Seattle. I did this show in Sun Valley, and the writer and the, the, the leading lady and other people were from New York, and they kept saying, you got to come to New York. We're going to do this on Broadway. You're going to be the star. It's going to be great. You know? And, um, of course, it didn't happen, but, uh, but I, I, I finally went out to New York. I was 28 years old by the time I, I finally moved to New York and uh, which worked for me because <laughs> I was never uh, uh, you know Brad Pitt to begin with I mean I was doing all this leading man stuff in musicals but I was sort of always you know a 50 year old character actor waiting to grow into it you know and then again in New York you know I was this I was this complete unknown piece of garbage like everybody is when they start out you know went to one cattle call after another and and uh, there was really another another sort of seminal moment <laughs> that again basically taught me to goof around at auditions because um, I you know I would I thought well I'm in New York now and I go to all these auditions and I would be very sort of formal and say yes my name is Jonathan Simmons which was my my stage name at the time um, and um, I'm going to sing this song from this and I would you know do my thing and then uh, I was auditioning for I don't even remember what it was for might have been Peter Pan and a friend of mine who, who played piano bars and stuff uh, used to do this gag where he'd do different songs and he'd sing them one note behind. So the lyrics would be one note ahead of the note. So he'd sing, um, Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where. So, and, you know, it's like mind twisting sort of MC Escher for, you know, for <laughs> musical theater kind of gag. So I went into this one audition and I did that with. Uh, Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out. And so at the very end of the song, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. And that's the end of the song. And when people hadn't heard that before, it was, it was different. It was something that they, you know, they've been seeing, you know, 75 people come in and sing their, you know, 32 bars of whatever. And it just created an impression. And it's not like it showed that I had the most brilliant voice in the history of the world, but it just, you know, it people sat up and you know it sort of relieved the boredom of a long day of watching a bunch of people audition and you know I ended up getting a job out of it and you know the the farther I got into into my theater career the more I realized uh, you know if you can help them relax you know and sort of perk up their day a little bit um that's uh, that's a great way to to start a relationship with somebody and and not only to show them yeah he can sing or he can you know play a scene or whatever it is but uh but just to at least as important as that i think is uh, is showing them that uh you know you're a guy they wouldn't mind spending 12 hours a day with a, a, a fun a fun person i've really found in every experience i've had long-term experience like this one now the closer or oz or you know five movies with sam raimi and and this and that or my back to my summer stock days in montana you know the good experiences are are ones where the vast majority of people are there for the right reason, you know, not to get rich, not to get famous, you know, but to but to put together a a good project and 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 have a good time doing it. And uh, I find almost uniformly every experience I've been through that that comes from the top down. I'm totally digressing now, but uh, um, you know, if you're auditioning for somebody and you just get uh, you know. A, a really good vibe from them, then that's probably somebody like whether it's Tom Fontana from Oz, you know, or Mike and Greer and James here on the closer, or Sam Raimi, or uh, you know the Cone Brothers, whoever it is. It, when you when you get that really good feeling, not of of connecting, but also just thinking this guy's just a decent human being, and and not only smart and and really knows what he's doing, but this is somebody I I like, you know. Almost invariably, those those turn out to be the really good experiences because they're going to surround themselves. You know, everybody they hire is going to be somebody that not only is competent at their job, but uh, but is somebody that, you know you don't mind being locked in a dark soundstage with for <laughs> fourteen hours. You know, yeah, now, that's I, not a digression at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. And I, I have a I have a quick question about that because in L.A. and New York, you have all these actors who are constantly dealing with rejection it's easy to get jaded and start getting bitter and cynical and things like that. And yeah. so you, you have actors walk into auditions and they bring that energy with them. I'm sure you've run into a little bit of that here and there in your career. How have you dealt with that? 
every time I went to sort of a new level, you know, whether it was from non-equity stock in Montana to, you know, the relative big city of Seattle and, and then to New York and then, and then, you know, from regional theater to Broadway, from Broadway to, to doing film and TV, you know, there's, there's a, a lack of experience that can breed a lack of confidence in there. And, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to go through that. I, obviously, I, I think obviously, you know, the main thing that you uh, need to hang on to as you as you go to, you know, audition after audition and don't get the job or, or as you whatever, you know, submit yourself to an agency and get ignored, you know, time after time and don't even get to the audition. You can't be looking out there for an affirmation of of your talent or of your humanity or of, of who you are, of your worth as a person. As, imp- as important as having a career, you know, in the business is to most people who are, who are doing it or who, or who are striving to do it. I just don't think you can let it be your life. You know, you have to, you have to live your life and, and be a human being and have your friends and, you know, have your loves and, and, uh, uh, and have as well-rounded a life as you can have while you're dealing with the frustrations of, of trying to get a, a, a career going. You know, every time you, you don't get a job or don't get an audition and, and feel, you know, what you might or might not, you know, term as rejection, you, first of all, can't take that to heart. You can't, you can't let that um, affect your, your self-image, you know, your self-confidence. Um, you just, you know, whatever. It didn't fit for whatever reason, you know. I mean, I'm, you know, people have different perceptions of a career like mine, where I am now. I have, you know, I'm on my third or fourth TV show as a, as a regular character, and I've you know, got a bunch of movies under my belt now, and before that I was doing Broadway and this and that. But I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I deal with, uh, with a fair amount of, of my own career frustration because, you know, there are lots of movie roles that come and go that, you know, that aren't coming my way, that I'm not offered, and, then I, and I still audition you know, for most most movie jobs, uh, you know, I'm I'm still auditioning. It's not like it's not like I'm just sitting in my trailer reading scripts and deciding which you know fabulous project to accept. Certainly, there have been times. You know, I mean, I, at, at this point, jobs do get offered out of the blue. Those tend to be like little indie movies, um, uh, which are often the best, the most rewarding, uh, the best scripts, but obviously not uh paying the mortgage on my fabulous hollywood mansion so um, <laughs> so uh, you know i i still find myself and and i you know, i assume you know always will find myself unless i suddenly become uh you know robert duval who said by the way robert duval is frustrated uh, uh, you know about his career too this is what's so amazing i mean, there was a quote that was attributed to him and uh, i only met him once briefly but they said, you know, how is it, you know, you've had such a fabulous career, you've done all these great roles and work with all these wonderful filmmakers. How is it that you decide which roles to accept and which roles, you know, not to accept? And, and he said, hey, if they send it to me and it makes sense, I'll do it. Hmm. You know, I mean, because he feels like he's not getting all the, all the, you know, the best scripts coming his way. So anyway, uh, I'm going on and on again on a digression, but uh, I, I think no matter, uh, uh, it may or may not be helpful to know that no matter what the level of uh, quote-unquote success you've attained in the business, uh, there are still things out there, there are still goals, uh, uh, you know, that you're, uh, that you're wanting to achieve, and there's still a uh, uh, frustration of, of not... Uh, not being able to do the work that uh, that you think you could do well. I, w- I want to rewind it a little bit because you mentioned, um, this is actually a question I wanted to ask you, so I'm so glad that you brought it up. You mentioned your, your stage name, uh, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes again. Yeah. I've been doing that lately. Those really don't work on They don't work on, yeah. on radio, on podcast, uh, on the audio media. Um, you mentioned your, your stage name uh, being Jonathan Kimball. You've since, you're now using uh, JK. Right. Uh, so... What can you talk about that a little bit? Because yeah. we've talked about it on the podcast before. A couple of our listeners have uh, changed their name, as have I. Um, you know, my my uh, actual name is Albert John Meyer, and I just you know I'm using my initials very similarly to what you did. I'm using AJ uh-huh. AJ Meyer. So, what uh, what prompted that decision? You know, what? It, it was hardly even a decision. 
my, my, my name is Jonathan Kimball Simmons. And when I was a kid, you know, my parents named me Jonathan as a, you know, a, a name from the Bible and uh, a Kimball is my mother's maiden name. But then when I was a baby, they, they kind of looked at me and went, they just didn't call me Jonathan. And, uh, they didn't call me Kimball cause that was, you know, that was my mom's last name. And, and, uh, John seemed kind of too generic and John, so they ended up calling me Kim for most of my childhood, you know. So when I when I first started doing uh music and then and then theater, I you know, I was just Kim Simmons and then I decided when I got into like serious music in college I had to have some sort of you know, more profound serious sounding <laughs> kind of name. So so when I was like doing recitals and things and singing Brahms and and this and and when I was uh, composing uh, I was J. Kimball Simmons, J. Period Kimball Simmons. That to me sounded like a, a serious composer or musician or something. <laughs> a couple years later, when I was in Seattle and I and I uh, had the chance to to join Equity, they had a Kim Simmons in Equity. The J. Kimball Simmons to me was sort of my musician name, you know. So I became Jonathan Simmons. That was my official, you know, stage name, my my Equity name for I don't know my whole time in Seattle and for the first couple of years in. In New York, although my first several years in New York, I wasn't really in New York. I would, I would, I was living in New York. I'd go to an audition, I'd get a regional job, and I'd go to Buffalo or Atlanta or Boston or you know wherever, and, and do a play and come back to New York. So I'd been in New York a few years, and I had, I think it was an audition. Anyway, I, I was asked to do a, a bit part in Wall Street in the movie Wall Street, and it was supposed to. It was a scene in a locker room, and it was. I think technically, uh, uh, I don't know if it was technically background work or, or they were saying it was going to be an under five or it was going to be some featured something because they needed some guys who were athletic, which I was at the time, um, to, uh, you know, to be walking around naked or half naked in a locker room scene with, with uh, uh, Michael Douglas. And, and I thought, well, this will make mom and dad proud. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be half naked in my movie debut or perhaps fully naked. So, of course, I had to go join SAG for that job. I went... Uh, paid my billion dollars to join SAG, which I couldn't afford at the time, and they had a Jonathan Simmons in SAG. So I couldn't be Kim Simmons, which was sort of my familiar name that I was used to. I couldn't be Jonathan Simmons, which, you know, I felt like I'd sort of established a a career, you know, a a regional theater career as Jonathan Simmons. And then I thought, well, what the hell? Um, (laughs) They've taken both my names away. And when I was a kid, although I had never really, I mean, Jonathan never became, uh, you know, people didn't call me Jonathan. Every time we'd have like a read-through of a new play, you know, when we'd we'd start a new job, they'd say, and here's Jonathan Simmons is playing the part of Parolas, you know, and I'd say, yeah, call me Kim. But then, so here I was, I couldn't have my first name or my, my middle name. When I was a kid, my dad, a lot of the times would call me JK or Jake. And I thought, Jake Simmons, eh, eh, J.K. Simmons, yeah, yeah, what the hell, that sounds kind of cool. And then, of course, the SAG job, um, for those of you who are, you know, going out and <laughs> renting Wall Street to see if you can see my ass in it. <laughs> um, well, first of all, you can see my ass in Oz. So, uh, But I ended up, uh, the Wall Street gig, you know, as happens with movies, you know, they said, well, you're going to work, you know, on Thursday the 10th in the locker room scene. And then on Wednesday the 9th, you know, some AD called and said, yeah, we're pushing that into, you know, two weeks from now. And where they pushed it into, I had a theater job in Happy Valley, Pennsylvania or something. So I ended up paying a billion dollars for my SAG card, not doing the movie, and didn't have a SAG job for probably three or four years after that. So So ended up not being in Wall Street. Naked. Or otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Or semi. Hey guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of our old, 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 but still awesome interview with the great J.K. Simmons. You know, what's so interesting too is that we, um, we like referenced like Spider-Man, like the very first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire in this interview. And it's like, that is so not even like in anybody's memory anymore. Because how many Spider-Man movies have we had since then? Like five? <laughs> Uh, well, if it was the original of that trilogy, then there's been two more in that, plus two more in the new... In the new one, yeah. New one, so four, yeah. And at least like a dozen other superhero movies since, with at least one or two remakes in there. I mean, it, it, anyway, yeah, so we referenced that, and like, full disclosure, this was a long time ago, so <laughs> it was actually relevant at the time of this interview. 
Uh, what's your pick of the week? Quick. KCRW's The Business. It's a podcast. It's also on KCRW, which is quite possibly the coolest radio station in the nation. Uh, it's uh, a show that is basically focused on industry news. It's about a half hour each episode. comes out two or three times a week. It's a fantastic podcast that I cannot believe we haven't mentioned or made a pick of the week before. Yeah, enjoy it. It's it's kind of one of those must-listen-to must things if you're an actor in the uh, in the industry. So The, the Business. That's mine. What's yours? I feel like we may have mentioned it uh, before. I think I think Nelson was a was an avid listener. It's was he okay? And it's such a good show. It's so good. So good. It, it I listen to it and I'm like, man, I wish we could have these guests like on a consistent basis. Like the people he talks to, it's like, oh my goodness. But it it, it is. It's 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 just imagine just imagine inside acting with like you know the NPR backing and i'm not just talking about money i'm talking about resources and yeah you know yeah. listenership and, and people who uh, you know would jump at the chance to to be on on that show it's I mean, he talks to oscar winners on a regular on on the regular yeah both of the, both of those <clears throat> hosts are great i i love that show i've just kind of recently rediscovered it i mean i you know i knew about it but it is it is a must listen to it should definitely be one of the things that you in kind of put into your ears every week anyway awesome. um yeah so what so your pick of the week is um so you know i've never seen this movie it's so good okay so it's the 20th anniversary of the adventures of priscilla queen of the desert it came out in 1994 um, it's an Australian film, and uh, Jasmine and I went to an event celebrating the 20th anniversary and the launch of the Australians in Film New York chapter, where we got to experience, enjoy a Q&A with the, direct, the writer-director and the Oscar award-winning costume designer. Um, <clears throat> and the story... The stories behind it are so inspiring that I couldn't help but make it the my pick of the week. The movie itself is fantastic. It definitely jumped up into like one of my favorite like it's got to be in like my top you know fifty all time favorite films. It's just it's really um, well done. It's a lot of fun and it's it's got it's also got a, a social message as well. Yeah, I was going to say, for listeners who, who aren't familiar with it, what, can you explain what it's about? The yes, little log it's, line or it's essentially, it's about two drag queens and a transgender woman who go on this, they basically go from Sydney, Australia to the center of Australia to do a, a, a gig, a drag show. And there's sort of, you know, adventures and misadventures along the way. And this was in 1994. So... You know, jump to now where we have Orange is the New Black and we have, you know, the first ever transgender person being nominated for um, an Emmy. You think back like 20 years ago, what the landscape was like and where sort of transgender, the idea of having a transgender character and where that was. So it's pretty progressive if you put yourself in the mindset of 20 years ago it, you know it yeah. came out in 1994 yeah. the the reason i mean it's not just because the movie is so good the the, the reason that i wanted to bring it up on the podcast I, you would have loved this q a trev because the writer director spoke about how they basically made it on a shoestring budget they had no money <clears throat> they just wanted to have fun it was a it was a time you know where that we were coming out of the 80s um, and you know, people were, he, he was saying people were like dying from AIDS and, and, you know, it was just a, a bad time and he wanted to like make a fun film. They had very little money. The costume budget was like $15,000 and she won an Oscar for it. Um, and the, the, the attitude was we're going straight to DVD. It doesn't matter who gives a shit. Let's make a, let's make a movie. The wow. Terrence Stamp was nominated for a bunch of awards, and he did the movie because he thought his career was over, and he had nothing to lose. So you have a, wow. a writer-director who feels like he has nothing to, to lose, uh, a, a lead actor who feels like he has nothing to lose, two other lead actors who are now very well-known and very well-respected who were just like willing to go crazy and have fun. Uh, and so all of these elements came together, and, and, and the writer-director even said... Um, 
if we had made this movie one year before or one year after, either it would not have gotten made, or if it did get made, it would have not been as successful. Wow. So sort of like this outlier. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. So yeah. anyway, that, that's the main reason I wanted to make it my pick. Not necessarily because the movie is fantastic, which it is, but more so because I, I love being able to inspire myself and our listeners with these little, you know, stories and tidbits that... Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like listening to an album and knowing, like having read an interview or something with, with knowing where the, the kind of artist was when they were writing it. And it gives the songs more meaning and more depth and more sure. gravity. It's like kind of the same thing here. I, I love that. It, it makes the, the experience of experiencing that art so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. It's a really good cool. point. Cool. All right. Well, then I'll add that to one of my two movies this week. <laughs> uh, and then awesome. lastly, we have a, a listener pick from patron Keenan Falk, and he picks uh, Solar Freaking Roadways. <laughs> there are a couple of videos out there on, on the uh, Worldwide Intertubes about these solar roadways, which are basically photovoltaic panels that making up basically roads. So instead of just flat old concrete, you've got these panels that soak up sunlight and generate energy and put it back into the power grid. And it's, it's a really interesting idea. And it, to me, it sounded kind of far-fetched right off the bat. But the more I look at it, the more I'm like, you know what? This is totally feasible. And they actually, I just read about on treehugger.com, which is <laughs> sort of a hippie website, you can tell. Really? But, uh, they, <laughs> yeah, I know. And they just, uh, they just installed the very first ever solar roadway bike path, I think, in like, I want to say some, some other country. I, I want to say like Switzerland. I'm probably way off. But uh, there was a, it was a big deal that like a, a, a city had invested the money to put down these panels and make a, a, a roadway, a bike path that lights up and responds when people, you know, are on it and things. It, it's just really cool technology. And I think that uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this gets at least somewhat widely adopted in the coming decade. So, um, yeah, I got a link to a video on our site about that. And thank you, Keenan, for for um, the share. Awesome. So that is yeah. uh, the business podcast on KCRW. I guess you can also find that on iTunes. Just do a, a search in iTunes for the business. Yeah. Um, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, My Pick of the Week, and Solar Roadways. Uh, thanks in part to Mr. Keenan Falk. Yeah. So we uh, have a few thank yous uh, that we want to kind of mention before we wrap this bad boy up. First off, we got a great, a really generous one-off donation from a listener named Thomas Saki, Sachi, maybe. Um, I'm so sorry. I butcher everybody's name. It's just the thing I do. Uh, but Thomas, thank you so much for your donation, man. Um, goes right back into making a better podcast. It, it goes right to production costs. And we really, 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 really appreciate your generosity. And we also have a returning patron, Rebecca Berman, who was with us for a while. Um, had to kind of bow out for, for, for a few months, and now she's back. And Rebecca, we want to tell the world about you, because I know for a fact that you are an amazing person with some really cool short film clips and stuff on the web. But I don't, we don't have your, um, your blurb and your links and things that we had when you were a patron previously. So please send them back to us and we'll make sure that uh, everybody gets to see all the cool stuff you're up to. Inside Acting is produced and co-hosted by me, yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, Mr. Trevor Algetz, my home slice, my homeboy, my, my West Coast brother. Um, Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Camino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. You can sign up for our free weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, pretty much every place you would download a podcast. And this episode of Inside Acting was made possible in part by Rehearsal 2. It's the app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, there's an app for that, Rehearsal 2. You can download it right now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That will take you straight to the iTunes download link. It is iOS only, so you've got to be an Apple user uh, to use this app, but it's a fantastic investment. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. And of course, as we mentioned with Thomas and Rebecca, this episode was made 
possible in part by listeners like you. If you're hearing my voice, you've contributed to the podcast, even with your ears. But if you love inside acting and you want to help the show, you want to help keep the show going, sign up as a, a monthly patron and you can get these cool perks like uh, access to an exclusive online patron-only mastermind group, which we're setting up right now. Uh, a shout out on the show, the show's website, and the show's newsletter. And freebies and discounts on merchandise and other upcoming podcast offerings and more. Just visit InsideActingPodcast.com and click on the Patron tab up there at the top. That's right. And that's it for episode 169 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. Uh, Until next time, I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, read a script, watch two movies, write a page a day, and invest two hours in your craft this week. 